This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today on the podcast, we're looking at tubo-ovarian abscess, or TOA. TOA is an inflammatory infectious mass that involves the fallopian tube, the ovary, and then in severe cases, other pelvic organs like the bowel and the bladder. It most commonly results from an ascending infection with an STI or vaginal flora, but it may also occur due to a secondary infection from the GI system or from another condition like pelvic organ cancer. The most common predisposing condition of TOA is going to be PID in premenopausal patients, and before current diagnostic criteria in antibiotics, TOA occurred in about 15 to 35% of all PID cases. Now with improved diagnosis and treatment of PID, that rate is much lower. It's around 2%. In postmenopausal patients, there is a very high rate of concurrent malignancy. Now I had mentioned that the TOA all comes down to the ascending infection. The reason why an ascending infection is such a problem is that it leads to endothelial damage of the fallopian tube and then edema of the infundibulum. This causes tubal blockage and development of a pile salpinx. This can then cause tissue invasion, destruction, edema, and then finally tissue ischemia and necrosis, and then you have the TOA. TOAs are usually polymicrobial with similar bacteria to those that are present in uncomplicated PID. However, there may also be aerobic, facultative, and anaerobic bacteria present. Immunocompromised patients can have TOA with atypical organisms like Candida, Mycobacterium, Pasteurella, and Strepnumo. Women between the ages of 15 to 40 years are the most common patient population affected. Sepsis can occur in anywhere between 10 to 20% of patients with TOA. The big issue is rupture. This can occur in up to 15% of cases. If the patient is adequately treated and rupture does not occur, then mortality rates are around 0%. However, if rupture does occur, then mortality rates can reach 4%. Some other complications include infertility and chronic pelvic pain. Let's talk about some risk factors that are associated with TOA. Again, PID is by far the most common risk factor associated with the disease. We do need to keep in mind some other important risk factors like the presence of an IUD, recent uterine procedures, multiple sexual partners, diabetes, and then immunocompromised states like inflammatory bowel disease. There are reports that describe TOA after abdominal or pelvic surgery, endometrial ablation, infertility treatments, and even animal bites. Patients with HIV are at higher risk of TOA. Endometriosis is also associated with more severe PID and higher rates of TOA. Also keep in mind that TOA can develop from conditions affecting the GI or the GU system like appendicitis, diverticulitis, or pyelonephritis, and like I mentioned earlier, it can be associated with pelvic organ cancer in postmenopausal women. Finally, chronic bacterial infection can also increase the risk of TOA. Let's talk about the history and exam. TOA most commonly presents with lower abdominal pain, chills, fever, and vaginal discharge. Patients can present acutely 
or with longer-term symptoms. Most patients are going to be stable, but rupture can result in peritonitis and sepsis. Now, you may be thinking that this presentation overlaps with a lot of conditions, and you're absolutely right. The presentation is nonspecific, but how often do we see some of the more common signs and symptoms? Up to 90% of patients with a TOA will present with lower abdominal pain. Fever occurs in about 50 to 90% of patients, but fever is not common in PID. So, if you have a patient who presents with what sounds like PID, but they have a fever, think TOA. Patients can have chills in about 50% of cases, nausea in 26%, vaginal discharge in about 28%, and abnormal vaginal bleeding in about 21%. In severe cases, ureteral obstruction can result in hydronephrosis and flank or back pain. TOA can also result in intestinal obstruction, which will present with abdominal pain and distension. Physical exam is also limited, but it can provide some important clues for us. Now, there is a lot of momentum towards reducing the number of pelvic exams we do, but this is one situation where a speculum and a bimanual exam can be helpful. You might see mucopurulent discharge or cervical motion tenderness. Adnexal or uterine tenderness on your bimanual exam also suggests TOA. Most patients will have abdominal tenderness with palpation, but peritonitis is usually not present unless a TOA has ruptured. The key is to think about TOA in patients who are acutely ill, have significant abdominal or pelvic tenderness on exam, have an adnexal mass present on exam, or if they present after failed therapy for PID. Evaluation in the ED is going to focus on labs and imaging. Pregnancy testing and then testing for gonorrhea and chlamydia are necessary. The white blood cell count and inflammatory markers like ESR and CRP might be elevated. Like in almost every condition, these are not sensitive and they can't be used to rule out the disease if they're normal. Sensitivity for the inflammatory markers ranges anywhere between 70 to 90%, but this depends on the threshold. Specificity is also not 100%, and again, it depends on the threshold that's studied. Inflammatory markers might be predictive of illness severity and even the length of stay, but they're not going to impact our evaluation in the ED. If you're concerned about sepsis or even rupture, then get blood cultures. Imaging is a big part of the diagnosis, and in the ED, we'll be using ultrasound or CT with contrast. Let's start with ultrasound. Ultrasound is often considered the first line modality and might show you complex multilocular masses that disrupt the normal adnexal architecture. Data suggests that transvaginal ultrasound is more accurate than transabdominal ultrasound in identifying those adnexal lesions. Other than the complex adnexal structure with thick walls and internal echogenicity, you might also see incomplete septae within the fallopian tubes and even complex free fluid within the pouch of Douglas. The problem with transvaginal ultrasound is that the sensitivity ranges between 75 to 90% and it's operator dependent. Compared with ultrasound, CT with contrast has a higher sensitivity that ranges between 78 to 100%. If you start with ultrasound but it's negative and you have a suspicion for TOA, then get to CT. You also won't be wrong going with CT first, but you should speak with your radiologist. 
you'll need to use IV contrast, but the radiologist might want PO contrast as well. The data suggesting improved sensitivity and specificity with oral contrast are controversial, but your radiologist may still want it. CT can demonstrate several findings, including a uniformly thickened and enhanced abscess wall, increased fluid density within the abscess, and multilocular fluid collections. You may also see thickened fluid-filled tubes and incomplete septae present within the fallopian tube. Other CT findings include bowel wall thickening and infiltration of pelvic fat. If the patient is pregnant and ultrasound is inconclusive, then you can obtain an MRI, but this modality is not available in all ED settings. On T1-weighted imaging, you're going to have low signal intensity, and on T2-weighted imaging, you'll see high signal intensity. MRI has a sensitivity that's around 95% and a specificity that's close to 81% for the diagnosis. What about management? If the patient has evidence of sepsis or rupture, then they need resuscitation, broad-spectrum antibiotics, and OBGYN consultation. Surgical intervention is also commonly required if the abscess is over 7 centimeters in diameter. For other patients, antibiotics are the mainstay of treatment with resolution of the abscess in about 70% of cases. Once patients clinically improve, then the IV antibiotics are transitioned to PO antibiotics for at least 14 days. For postmenopausal patients, surgical diagnosis with antibiotics is going to be more commonly used because of the risk of concurrent gynecologic malignancy. Antibiotics need to cover both STI and polymicrobial GI bacteria. We'll have a table in the show notes with some examples for antibiotics. One common regimen is ceftriaxone plus doxycycline plus metronidazole. If the patient has a severe cephalosporin allergy, then you could use clindamycin plus gentamicin. Consulting OBGYN is important. First, the patient will need admission, and second, patients may need drainage. Up to 30% of cases of unruptured TOA will fail antibiotics alone. Patients with an abscess larger than 5 to 7 centimeters, older age, and higher inflammatory markers have a greater risk of failing antibiotics, and they may need intervention. If the abscess has not ruptured, options for drainage include laparotomy, percutaneous drainage, or colpotomy incision. If the abscess has ruptured, however, these patients need emergent operative management. Okay, let's finish with some challenging scenarios, and we'll look at pregnancy first. TOA is rare in pregnancy, but it can lead to some severe adverse outcomes, including preterm labor, miscarriage, chorioamnitis, and fetal or maternal death. An appendiceal abscess is far more common than TOA in pregnancy. For the most part, our approach to diagnosis and management is going to be similar in the pregnant patient, but you'll want to start with ultrasound or MRI. If these are not diagnostic or they're unavailable, then you'll need to obtain a CT scan. Consultation with OBGYN is necessary because early delivery might be needed and surgical management is associated with greater risk to the fetus and the mom. The second challenging scenario is the presence of an IUD. If an IUD is present and the patient has a TOA, then removal by the specialist is often performed because removal is associated with improved short-term outcomes. However, removing the IUD 
has to be balanced with the risk of pregnancy in patients who have had intercourse in the prior five days. One final note, there is an association between IUDs and infection with actinomyces. Tubal ovarian actinomycosis is associated with formation of multiple abscesses, granulation tissue, and fibrosis. All right, thanks for sticking with me. Let's summarize what you need for your next shift. Several key risk factors to think about for TOA include PID, the presence of an IUD, multiple sexual partners, diabetes, and immunocompromise. History and physical exam are nonspecific. Think about TOA in the female patient with lower abdominal pain and fever and chills. Inflammatory markers can be elevated, but they're not specific and they're not sensitive enough for diagnosis or exclusion. Ultrasound and CT can both be used for diagnosis, but CT with contrast has higher sensitivity. Management includes consultation with the OBGYN specialist and antibiotics that cover STIs and polymicrobial GI bacteria. Finally, factors associated with failed medical management include patients with a larger abscess size, older age, and significantly elevated inflammatory markers on your laboratory evaluation. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 